This is day 112 of our daily Bible reading plan. We'll be completing Psalms chapters 78 through 82. Lord Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts today. Incline your ear to us. Hear our complaints, Lord. Hear our cries for your goodness, for your mercy in our lives. So often, Lord, we try to go our own way and listen to the wrong voices in our lives, which lead us astray. But yet, Lord, we know deep down inside that you are the right choice every time, that you are for our good, and you know all things. So why wouldn't we seek you? Or that we may put aside our egos, put aside our agendas, and that we would seek you with the whole heart. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers, equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God, and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds, and his miracles that he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters stand up like a heap. Then he led them with the cloud by day, and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness, and gave them abundant drink, like the ocean depths. He brought forth streams also from the rock, and caused waters to run down like rivers. Yet they continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put God to the test, by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out, and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because 
they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he directed the south wind. When he rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas. Then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, round about their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, and their desire he gave to them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while their food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. So he brought their days to an end in futility and their years in sudden terror. When he killed them, then they sought him, and returned and searched diligently for God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God their Redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouth, and lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all his wrath. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Again and again they tempted God and pained the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power, the day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt, and his marvels in the field of Zoan, and turned their rivers to blood, and their streams they could not drink. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to the grasshopper, and the product of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hailstones, and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave over their cattle also to the hailstones, and their herds to bolts of lightning. He sent upon them his burning anger, fury, and indignation, and trouble, a band of destroying angels. He leveled a path for his anger, he did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague, and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the first issue of their virility in the tents of Ham. But he led forth his own people like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely, so that they did not fear, but the sea engulfed their enemies. So he brought them to his holy land, to this hill country which his right hand had gained. He also drove out the nations before them, and apportioned them for an inheritance by measurement, and made 
the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God, and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They turned aside like a treacherous bow, for they provoked him with their high places, and aroused his jealousy with their graven images. When God heard, he was filled with wrath, and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent which he had pitched among them, and gave up his strength to captivity, and his glory into the hand of the adversary. He also delivered his people to the sword, and was filled with wrath at his inheritance. Fire devoured his young men, and his virgins had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, and his widows could not weep. Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior overcome by wine. He drove his adversaries backward. He put on them an everlasting reproach. He also rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he has founded forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them with his skillful hands. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of the heavens the flesh of your godly ones to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you, and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob, and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you, according to the greatness of your power, Preserve those who are doomed to die, and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, the reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. 
So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. To all generations we will tell of your praise. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your power and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us, and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its boughs. It was sending out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges, so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see, and take care of this vine. Even the shoot which your right hand has planted, and on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble, and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any false God. I, the Lord, am your God, 
whom brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart, to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Salah. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, You are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. So we have some more psalms from Asaph today. And the first psalm is a longer one, Psalm 78, but it had some really good stuff in it. So this was written for the sake of the nation of Israel in order to be reminded as to where they came from and why they continue to struggle. And ultimately, it was written so that we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. And you see such an assault on that today, the erasing of the past. How can you learn from the past if you erase it? So what Asaf does is he reminds the people of where they came from, how they got to where they are, the challenges that they had in the middle of it, the rebellion of their own ancestors, and then what God has been doing for them this whole time in order to not repeat the same mistake and not to abandon the Lord in the process. So we see a good amount of information that we already know from the Exodus story, but we need to look at it differently from this. We know that there's more to it than just a reciting of the history of Israel. This completely applies to us today, because we are the same as them. We have the same problem as them, in that we do not obey God, and that we do not remember Him, nor do we see His wonders and respond in a favorable way toward Him. 
we are no different from them. So we need to see it from that lens today. He starts off with the very important thing. First of all, there is a lot of prophecy in here as well. So for example, in verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Jesus also opened his mouth with a parable. But here is the important application for us today. Verse 4, we will not conceal them being the laws of God. We will not conceal them from their children, but to tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We have that responsibility today. Think of how far this nation has fallen because we have failed to do this, that we have failed to follow the godly principles and teach our children the ways of God. How often, as parents listening to this, or grandparents, or uncles and aunts, how often do we have family members in our lives, even our own kids, that we don't even talk to them about God? Do we talk about God at the dinner table? Do we sit at the dinner table? I mean, that, we've got to start with basics nowadays, because there's TV, right? Do we even sit at the table? And if we do, do we talk about God? Do we read the Bible with our kids? Do we encourage them, if they're old enough, to read it on their own? Do we pray together? Do we teach our children how to pray and that there is value and power in it? We have a responsibility to teach the next generation how to be godly because they will be teaching it to their children and so on and so on and so on. And it has to start with us. We have an obligation and a command to be godly people, to make disciples of all nations. And why not start with your own house? Your own house is a mission field. You have children in your home that need to know Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, they have already accepted him. And only God knows if it's a legitimate profession of faith, because children don't always understand. But we have of utmost responsibility to conduct ourselves in a godly fashion every day, but also to teach the next generation what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to act. And they need to see it in us. And if they don't, then we are failing God. It's not just failing them. We are failing our kids too, but we are failing God because we are not obedient to him. Some other parallels that we can make from here as well is beginning in verse 12. He wrought wonders and he did all those curses, all those plagues, right? He gave them drink from the waters of rocks. He parted the Red Sea for them. And yet they still continued to sin. Verse 17, they still continued to sin against him and to rebel against the Most High in the desert. 
They tested God, they doubted him, and his anger was kindled with them. Because, like it says in verse 22, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Every time I come back to that point in the Bible, where I think about the Exodus and all the wonderful things that they saw, all the miracles that God performed on them daily, and yet their root problem this whole time was unbelief. They did not believe what they saw. They still did not understand. In spite of all of this, verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wonderful works. But it wasn't until they tried to go into the promised land when they sent those 12 spies into the land, two of them being Joshua and Caleb. And then the bad report came back, the fearful report, and that's when God punished them with the 40 years of wandering. And then, as they started to die in the desert, because he declared that generation to be a lost cause, and so he allowed them to fall in the desert, and once the original generation fell in the desert, then they were able to enter the promised land. And that is when they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God was their Redeemer. But it didn't last very long, right? We know the story. You read Joshua, and then not long after Joshua dies, the integrity of Israel dies too, with him. And then we have the era of the judges, where the people would constantly go off track and forget God. God would allow them to be conquered. And as they were being conquered and oppressed, they cried out to the Lord, and he provided a judge, a redeemer, a foreshadowing of Christ in order to save his people. And even though there were times that he even told Moses, I just want to wipe these people out, and I will make a nation out of you, Moses. Moses says, no, don't do it, Lord. I know who you are, and I know this is not how you are. because." He understood that, like it says in verse 38, God is compassionate. He forgave them and he did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all his wrath. Why? Because he remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passes and does not return. How often does he do that with us? How often is he compassionate with us and forgives us and does not destroy us? The ones that carry his image, the ones that have a responsibility to share Jesus without fear. We have that responsibility and so often we neglect our duties. And were it anybody in the business world, in the workforce, a lazy employee gets fired. And yet God has compassion on us. We should not abuse his compassion by any means. But he remembers that we are only human. There is nothing to revel in when it comes to humanity. 
we are nothing compared to God. We have nothing to offer him. He remembers that we are just dust, that we are only flesh. And that's why he has pity on us, because he knows how we are. He knows our frame. So may we be like what Asaf is talking about here, teaching the next generation of what God has already done and not make the same mistakes as our ancestors, the ones that rebelled against God or are currently rebelling against God. It needs to start with us for the, not only your sake, but for the sake of your family. And if you have value in your own family, that should mean something to you. Some people are more concerned about their personal appearance. The way that you conduct yourselves and appear to others speaks volumes about who you are and what you stand for. And if people don't know what you stand for, then you're not showing anybody anything. And that's dangerous. This is not a salvation to be kept to ourselves. We were commanded to go make disciples. Chapter 79 is a very interesting one because this is a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. And most likely this is the, the point of destruction when Babylon did it. Historical records show that Babylon conquered Judah in 586 BC. And so we have this record hundreds of years before it actually happened of the nation being destroyed because we see Asaf describing this, but when he was alive, this was at the peak of the nation of Israel. When David and Solomon were king, that was the greatest, highest point of the nation of Israel. So why would Asaf describe such destruction and blood in the streets if that hadn't happened? Well, it has to be prophecy. Because again, this is a historical book, but it's also a prophetic book. So in this very way, Asaf is predicting by the Holy Spirit that Jerusalem will be destroyed. And what we see Asaf do is he's concerned about why Jerusalem, Lord? Why are you allowing Jerusalem to get destroyed? Pour out your wrath on the nations around us that don't even know you. Call upon the kingdoms which do not even call upon your name and hold them accountable. Don't destroy us. We are your people. But he understands as well of why it's happening because his ancestors have sinned. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. That understanding of deep depression, this lack of will to live, that such depths of sorrow. Help us, deliver us, forgive us, Lord. Psalm chapter 80 is one that is more of a call for revival. He is challenging the people of Israel to look upon God. And he calls upon God three different times with the exact same request. 
O God, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. That promise and that confidence in what God can do. Restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Restore us from what? Well, again, we t- we're talking about a revival here, right? Which means there's some spiritual stagnancy. There's some spiritual inactivity, laziness, if you will. And the call to revival is to be restored. It's the call to return to the way that you once were when you had that fire in your soul for Jesus Christ. He's encouraging the nation to do that. But he also understands that this is also a sovereign act of God as well. And so he's asking God to take action on our behalf to encourage this revival, to soften the hearts of the people and make them receptive to God's command. He is asking, especially in verse 14, O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you, look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. And he uses that language like, we are your luxurious grapevine that you planted in Canaan. We didn't grow up in Canaan, but you allowed us to go into the land and live there after driving the other nations out. You planted us there. Take care of your vine, Lord, as you have promised to do. Even though we have not been faithful to you, revive us, O Lord. May we have that revival in our lives if we have not already. And that requires repentance. Psalm 81 is an interesting one because it starts off with being a summons for praise during the Feast of Booths. This is usually sung during the Feast of Booths. But yet you see halfway through it that it's no longer a soft talking anymore. It is God himself. And then he is showing his frustration with Israel. And we can say the same, just add your name in there instead. Here, Ryan, and I will admonish you. Ryan, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange gods among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Imagine like a baby sitting in a high chair. I always see that verse, and I think of a baby sitting in a high chair. You know, the little, like a one-year-old, right? You're, you have that little bowl of food, the little baby spoon, and you're, he's putting the spoon in front of the baby, and the baby ah, opens his mouth as wide as he can to get that food. He's asking us to be that way with him, to be so dependent on him and just to surrender our egos. Open your mouth wide and I will feel it. I will take care of you. I want to give you the best. Like he even says that in verse 16, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Now, honey and luxurious wheat and all that stuff just shows prosperity. I will cause you to prosper if you would only listen to me. 
you don't obey me. And so I have to act a certain way. And then he goes into verse 12, which I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Sometimes people get so rebellious that he's just like, all right, you want it that badly? I'll let you have it, but it's not going to be what you want. It is not going to satisfy you. You'll be back. Romans chapter 1 is a great partner to read with this psalm because Paul describes the same kind of thing that Asaph is describing here when it comes to what God does. When he demands obedience from people and when they do obey him, he prospers them. He allows good things to happen to them. But when we do not obey him, he commands us to return and repent. But there's a point to where if we completely try to tune him out, that he will give us over to the stubbornness of our hearts. He will hand us off to sin, to dwell in that, and see, oh, you really want it that bad? All right, you can have it. But I am telling you, it will not be what you really want. It is not what you need, but you are just not listening to me anymore. You'll be back if you're saved. Living in such deep perversion as we see around the nation today. That is a result of the hardness of their heart. He promises that he wants to give us the best if you would just listen to him. And then we have one that's even worse. Verse 15, those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. It's like what Jesus says, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, because there's a lot of fakers out there. There's a lot of people who flippantly use the name of Christ and pretend to be his servant, but yet they're not. And their punishment will be forever, because it is not a true allegiance. And if you are not under the allegiance of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. And we know you're, where you're going. And finally, Psalm chapter 82, he's calling upon judges of the nation of Israel who preside over cases unjustly. And he is demanding that they defend the weak and the fatherless, defend the widows, do justice to the people who need justice served, because ultimately there is a divine judge that will hold you accountable. And that's why he says in verse 6 here, in some way, in this particular way, you are gods, because you have the power to proclaim judgment against someone. We are all sons of the Most High. Those who judge and have responsibility from God are held to a higher standard. And yet, even though you have godlike power, because you have the power of judgment over people, you will die like a human being, like anybody else. If, especially if you do not obey God, you will just fall like every other non-believer. So nothing is worse in God's eyes when it comes to the justice system than an unjust judge, a corrupt judge. So certainly those people should not be in their position if they are corrupt. 
And that should do it for today. That's all I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.